1: Brian
0: Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I'm your host Brian Karam, and with me today is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. Michael joins us uh, every week for uh, our weekend review, but today we want to take a special um, uh, look at what has happened in the last week with Donald Trump and his latest indictment, because it's all a fire on social media, in the mainstream media, talk of the Sunday shows, and a lot of misunderstanding about what it actually is. So, Michael, I, I really appreciate you being here for this. Um, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we want to unpack what, what the arraignment was and meant and all the things that have happened since then. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian and Once again with me is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and a frequent contributor to our weekend show. And, and Michael, thanks for being here, man. I, I, I just want to there's been so much said about what's going on. And we covered last week the the um, indictment, but the arraignment came on Thursday and since then there has been a slurry and a slew of stuff come across the transom about what is going on so let's start with um i guess where do you feel more i i almost want to start in chronological order after the arraignment um he went out uh, uh trump it tweeted out something or said he was you know so on truth social you go after me i'm coming after you and immediately that night that was a Thursday night, I guess it was. God, it seems like six weeks ago. Um, Jack Smith and the um, prosecutors filed a protective order to keep him from sharing information. It this didn't really have to do with what he said directly, but used it as an example of him of Donald Trump being unable to to keep himself together. And he would discuss information if uh, if if evidence were released to, and it will
2: be to the defense. So your thoughts on that? So let's back up one minute. I was uh, on holiday when the indictment occurred. And that just was, make me, just make sure that we understand he has been indicted on multiple conspiracies, most notably to defraud the United States and obstruct the orderly transition of power. And he pleaded not guilty to that. He has been assigned Judge Chunkin out of the D.C., uh, U.S. Uh, court, uh, the U.S. District Court. She is herself a former federal defender in D.C. I think the federal defenders in D.C. are the best federal defenders in the in the country. She's uh, been in a courtroom for a really long time and knows how to run a courtroom. So she, so there is an uh, an arraignment where Donald Trump pleaded not guilty, and she set the date of August 25 for when the the parties will return. For the setting of a trial date. And so everyone goes on their merry way, and the parties will start laying out their um, defenses in motions and uh, efforts to um, delay in motions and the like. Fair enough. What Jack Smith did, though, was to say, as you alluded to, Brian, this is a complicated case, and we want to make sure that the evidence is not leaked if you will uh, into the public domain inappropriately we want to make sure that witnesses are protected and that evidence is um, held safe and that the jury that is ultimately picked is free of uh, bias from these types of things and so we've filed what's called a motion for protective order to protect the integrity of the process against uh, improper behavior. Trump immediately asked for continuance in response to that. And Chunkin, as I said, knows how to run a courtroom, having been a public defender, and having done many of those things herself, um, as a public defender, as I did when I was a public defender in DC. Um, That's what we do, you know. Um, But but because she knows the the, the, her way around, she said not so fast. And I want your response uh, immediately as per my order. And I will hear from you why a protective order isn't appropriate in this case. And I think she is going to set a protective order, similar to what we saw in DC when Roger Stone was um, indicted. Remember, Roger Stone was indicted, and he was put under a, a limited gag order and a protective order. Because what did he do after he was indicted? He immediately posted a picture on social media of the judge, Amy Berman Jackson and a, a crosshairs. Uh, yeah. And the judge said, no, we're, we're just not going to have that. That's not acceptable in our system of criminal justice. And you are now going to be protected. We are going to be protect, protected from you. And the criminal justice system is going to be protected from your um, unfair attacks or attacks, if you will, on, on witnesses and the judge and everybody else.
0: You mentioned something that I, I I glossed over myself, and that was, you know, they asked for a delay. Yet on Sunday, uh, his lawyers on five different Sunday shows, trying essentially trying the case in public. If if he can be on those Sunday shows, certainly he could be prepared to answer in a in a, a, a decent amount of time. You know, the the protective order. Yes,
2: absolutely, and I think. That's why she denied the request for a delay. And yes, um, this lawyer, who's a good lawyer, um, Laura, he's a good lawyer, um, is out like um, Ginsburg in the Monica Lewinsky case. He's in every single show trying to essentially try his case in the press. And it's particularly important, I think, for this case because I think the likelihood that Donald Trump is going to test testify is very very low and so if trump isn't going to testify if he's not going to say i honestly believed that i won or i believe i have a first amendment right to to say these things or i was under some you know advice of counsel um proposition if he's not going to say that in court because he can't take the witness stand in all likelihood then these guys have got to start trying their case in public, you know, setting sort of the tone in, in the, in the, in the, I was going to say the community, but it's really nationally, globally, uh, what, what their, what their defense is, they're sort of like softening up the, the, the electorate for uh, what they are going to try and argue. I don't think many of those defenses are availing and we'll talk to them in a little bit, I know. Yeah. Uh, But I think that that's what's going on here. He's begun his defense. In in public because you can't do it in a courtroom.
0: Doesn't that poison the well for potential jurors?
2: Yeah, it does. But at the same time, we're the District of Columbia, and we are accustomed to big, famous cases. Whether you know it's Nixon and, and Watergate or Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky or Gore versus Bush, you know we know we know as a population how to. Distinguish between rhetoric and uh, courtroom reality, and I think the jurors here will do a, a fine job as they as they always have done.
0: And so that brings us to the the different defenses, um, and I guess you can unpack some of those, including free speech. Is that a that's not a legitimate? I mean, everyone, you know, you look at the indictment. It's he even says in the indictment, it's okay if Donald Trump lies. It's it's the actions that he took, so that's that's, right. that's disingenuous. But the For other, sure. but the other defenses that he's making, also you know the pushback against his VP and what Laurel said in court are said on the Face the Nation and stuff like that. You know, it's okay if he's just implying that his it that his uh, vice president look into it. All of that seems specious as well.
2: Yeah. So. What Trump's doing first is he wants to try to get this judge removed. So he's going to try to remove the judge because he doesn't think she's going to be as sympathetic to him as, say, Eileen Cannon, the judge in in the Mar-a-Lago case. So he's going to try to do that. He's going to fail. Then he's going to try to change venue, meaning he's going to say, as he said, he can't get a fair trial in the District of Columbia because the District of Columbia is overwhelmingly uh, Democratic and African American. That's going to fail too. But they'll, those will be their their first, their, their first gambit will be to try to get rid of the judge and get it out of the District of Columbia. They they proposed trying it in West Virginia, uh, where it's more, more diverse. More <laughs> right. So that's that's the first thing. So then, let's say they fail on those as as they they should, because remember all the January sixth defendants did the same motion to uh, change venue, and they all lost um, because there was no need to change venue. So then you get to the substance. Well, what is he charged with? And we talked about that, conspiracy to defraud and conspiracy to obstruct. And what are the defenses that he's beginning to sort of test in, in public? The first of which you raised is, I have a First Amendment right to free speech. And Jack Smith in the indictment says, absolutely, you have a right to to free speech and you even have a right to legally challenge the results of this election. And and you did in fact do that. You filed scores of of lawsuits challenging uh, legally these uh, elections and you lost all of them. And what then you did was having lost all of your legal challenges you embarked on a conspiracy to engage in conduct which was illegal and it's that illegal activity such as most notably in my mind the false electors scheme right that is not a first amendment matter that's an action matter and so you know there has been conversation on social media and on television about How do you distinguish between acts and speech? And one way of thinking about this has been said, which I think is more or less a good one, which is you can honestly think that your bank owes you money um, and you can talk all you want about the dishonesty of your bank for having stole your money from you and you could sue your bank uh, for, for that. You just can't rob it or ask others or ask others to rob it to get you your money back. And so you can think you lost this election. You can honestly think you lost this election, notwithstanding the fact that all your advisors told you otherwise. You just can't go about illegally trying to change the outcome of that election. And as I said, for me, most notably, the false electors scheme has no... Um, way to be understood, other than a, uh, a criminal act.
0: Well, okay, let's go back to what you just said about you know all of his people say that you know he they told him that you know and and I I suspect that we you know we're going to see testimony pitting the vice president former vice president against the president in this case probably Mark Meadows we haven't seen or heard from him which makes me think he's cooperating with the prosecution but even if he, he firmly believed that he won the election. If he really believed that, and I don't believe he did because of the things that he said and things that he did, but even if he did believe that, that does not discount, that does not make what he did legal,
2: does it? No, it does not. I mean, they're going to try to say he did not have criminal intent because he honestly believed he won. Uh, I think that... Uh, It's hard to sustain that argument when all of the advisors that that are listed in the indictment are serious people, White House counsel, DOJ, National Security Advisor, all told him he lost. His own um, campaign uh, pollsters told him he lost. His commissioned um, fraud investigations told him he lost. And the only people who told him he won are the un- co-conspirators so in <laughs> in an in, in, in advice of of counsel or honest belief case I think the 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 weight of who was telling him that he lost undermines the credibility of his belief that he won unless he's gonna you know take the stand and say I was temporarily insane and therefore I shouldn't be criminally held accountable, which is a a valid defense, but he's got to take the stand and and assert it. I I don't think he can assert that he had a credible belief that he won. I don't believe he can say he relied on the advice of counsel. And I don't believe he can say that he had a first amendment right and that what he was asking to be done in the words of his lawyer was aspirational asks. That's what he said. These things were aspirational as opposed to um, commands or other. um, Here's a here's a note to the teller saying, put money in a bag, please. (laughs) That could be that could be aspirational. It's my aspiration that you put the money in the bag. But I think as a prosecutor with a teller giving having received a note that said, the money in the bag. I'd probably likely prevail on my attempted bank robbery charge. <laughs> That's and it. Even if he said
0: please, um, he said please. You, you said something about he, he he could get up and plead temporary insanity. That's not going to happen. But it that, that looks like a valid way to go at this point. I yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand the defense i don't get it i i don't get it I, it it's the appeal in public i don't understand you, you don't see jack smith you know they're trying to say it's the doj that's out and trying the, the case in public but you don't see jack smith on the sunday shows i think he's gonna wait and just let things roll in court but it i i, I mean explained it as if no one you know ex, in common terms what the hell is the defense actually hope to accomplish? I mean, I know they want to get them off, but I don't see
2: any move that they're making that leads that way, legally. Well, so this is mostly, at the moment, a political defense. Meaning, yes. as we talked about, they are trying to uh, rally support for the president. I mean, he was at a speech recently where he said, one more indictment and I'm guaranteed to win the election. Yeah. So he's using, he's using this um, this notion of a weaponized justice department as a badge of honor. If they can do this to me, they can do this to you. And, and so his lawyers are out there and his political advisors are out there saying, essentially, if they can do this to him, they can do this to you. And the only way we can protect our democracy is to reelect him because what are they doing? They're charging him criminally with free speech they're charging him even though he had a sincere belief that he, he won they're charging him even though his lawyers told him he could he could do this and so they can come after him they can come after you and we got to protect our democracy by reelecting him that's what's going on mostly in, in the press it doesn't it doesn't hold up in a courtroom because those those are not valid legal defenses to a um criminal charge of obstruction of uh, an investigation so, or conspiracy to defraud it. So that's that's my point. It, it looks
0: like his defense right now is merely to delay it going to court before he can hopefully get reelected next fall and have it dismissed or have himself pardoned. So th- what we're seeing in public is predicate for uh, him to a- as an excuse to dismiss the charges Uh, once he is, if he gets back in office, but it doesn't seem like any kind of actual defense of the charges. Well,
2: I, I think there is an effort to have an actual defense, which is that what I did was protected by the First Amendment. What I did was based on what my lawyers told me I could do. And I had an honest belief that I had, not lost this election, and therefore I didn't act with criminal intent. Those are the elements of a defense. I just don't think that the facts of this case uh, allow that. Um, allow him yeah. to to win that uh, those those arguments in a in in a courtroom.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make any. Yeah, that. that yeah, there you go. We're on the same page then. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the future part of it, and uh, where we go from today forward on the Trump case. Stick around. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just ask the questions newsletter cuts through the bs and gets to the truth with brian's in-depth articles columns and exclusive content not found anywhere else get the scoop and stay in the know sign up for the just ask the question newsletter now at substack.com slash j-a-t-q podcast Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
0: Hi, we are back. It is Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Karaman. With me, uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, and we're dissecting the latest Trump case uh, filed as the arraignment came um, last on Thursday, and a protective order is going to be heard this coming week. I, and I guess, Michael, I guess let's look at the future uh, from a couple of different perspectives. First of all, he called out his army to be there for the arraignment. He wanted all of his people to show up and protest at the arraignment in DC. There was maybe a dozen people. There was the circumcision guy. There was a, a Blacks for Trump, six of those people. There were uh, five or six others. And one guy that said Donald Trump was the second coming of Christ. And it wasn't any big deal. I mean, it wasn't like, Jan- even though it occurred within a stone's throw of where January 6th occurred, there was not the protest that he wanted. Um, at this point, you have to wonder if it's winding down or if it's a lull, but it that's one aspect of it. Where does that go? The second aspect of it is we have, at this point in time, two, two uh, federal courts have charged him. Um, one state court, Manhattan. One state district attorney, and we're waiting on Georgia. So uh, we know that he's got booked so far, court time from October, I think, through the end of May, uh, with the uh, Republican National Convention in July. And so these other two have yet to to go to trial. Um, what's the chance they all get in before July? And where? So where's the where's the future of the prosecution cases go from here and Georgia included?
2: Yeah, so the next case that people are waiting on a charging decision is Georgia. There, the district attorney is um, still gathering evidence in a grand jury and has indicated that in August, she will make a decision and we are in August. And so we should hear from her grand jury, in, in the in the coming days or, or 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 weeks, and as we talked about here, in the January sixth case, that's what we're calling it, the current obstruction case. Right. The the judge has set August twenty fifth for uh, the next time the parties are in court for the purpose of scheduling a trial. Then we you're right to say we have four cases. We've got. The civil case by Letitia James. Oh, yeah, you about that one. We've got we've got the next defamation defamation case by Eugene Carroll. We've got the New York Attorney General case, and we got the Mar-a-Lago case. Then we have got Georgia pending, and then a trial date in in this um, case pending. And will all of those things be done by uh, the fall? Probably not. I would think that if she's gonna set uh, August 25th date to return for a trial, I would think the earliest you'd get a trial is in November, Um, but it may not be until um, later than than that. And that becomes all, all very dicey because of the political calendar.
0: Yeah, and so, all right, so if in November, and as you said, he doesn't get his change of venue because the January 6th defendants didn't get a change of venue. He won't get the judge recused. Where do you see that this particular case going if it is set for November? Do you think it will go off in November or it would be delayed again after that?
2: Well, I would think it should go off. The The types of motions that are, are being filed, generally, if um, the defendant loses, if Trump loses those motions, they don't get heard again until after the trial. And so all the pretrial motions stuff generally do not not get immediately appealed and delay the trial. And so if they get all this pretrial motion stuff done um, in um, in the fall, and she says a a early winter uh, trial date, it could go. It could go, and you see, uh, the objective of Smith, I think, was in charging Donald Trump singularly and naming the others as unindicted co-conspirators is that it keeps the case much more streamlined. And uh, if you had a six or seven co-defendant case, the likelihood of that going to trial within a year of the indictment is, is sort of low. With a one defendant case, with four counts where the evidence in each of the four counts is pretty much the same. I mean, if you look at the indictment, she says he lays out what Trump did in paragraphs like four to 123 or something. And then in the last three counts, it says, we repeat counts, we repeat paragraphs, you know, one to 123 and say that conduct also violates this statute, this statute and this statute. And so it's really one case with four possible um, crimes committed crimes, by yeah. the um, by the same behavior, and so they're going to put on a case that I think should be argued to the court is going to be pretty streamlined. You're going to put on witnesses who are going to say, after Trump lost, he did the following things which were illegal, and um, we rest. Thank you very much. And and then, well, that and then be- the defense has to you know the defense. You know, often is the case with defense counsel, and I say this as having been one and engaged in the exact same thing, is that much of your case is put on by cross examination. And so lawyers will cross examine all of these lawyers. Isn't it possible that the president could have felt this? Isn't it possible that, you know, this was merely aspirational and not a uh, you know, uh, here's the note. Give me the money in the in the bank, sort of thing. Isn't that all? You know, so they can do that. and They can raise a reasonable doubt uh, with the with the jury and argue that the prosecutors failed to meet its burden of proof. That's normally uh, how many criminal cases uh, play out. Whether or not they are going to put on affirmative witnesses is is going to be an interesting and complicated conversation for them.
0: Yeah, who would they put on? I mean, Donnie.
2: Well, I don't think he has any relevant information here. Uh, They they could put some people on who might say that Trump told them that he honestly believed he uh, won the election, um, and that they might put out to put some of the unindicted co-conspirators on the stand to say that they they believed that they were giving sound legal advice. The problem with this defensive counsel stuff, besides the fact that they're the unindicted co-conspirators, is that the legal advice that they were giving has been um, essentially adjudicated in bar disciplinary hearings. Right. And most of most of the courts listening to the uh, bar disciplinary hearings have said these lawsuits were frivolous. And so th- th- there's no merit to the to the legal advice that they were giving, according to all of the lawyers who are now losing their license for having given that advice and acting on it. So it's a very hard case to defend on a legal advice, um, uh, theory.
0: Well, I, I think it's a hard case to defend publicly in, in the court of public opinion as well. When they keep saying it's a weaponization of the DOJ and that, uh, Joe Biden got him indicted and, um, First of all, it's Donald Trump's people testifying against him. It's not anybody from the Democratic Party. It's people appointed to office by Donald Trump who spearheaded the investigation. Uh, you know, Christopher Wray at the FBI. It's a, uh, and at the same time, to to sit there and say it's uh, <laughs> that it somehow is a weaponization. I, I I I don't get that. I I mean I know that's, I get a, it, that's you get it politically, right? Yeah, you
2: get politically. it politically. It's yep. just not going to work in court, um, right? And but I think, thing- but to your point, Brian, I think that in some respects, at this point in time, it's hard thing to, to to understand. But in some respect, in this point in time, I think they're less worried about the outcomes of the criminal trials as much as they are worried about the outcome of the political election because. Uh, if they lose these trials but these federal trials but win the election then the trials will have no meaning because right. there'll be no sanctions um, for it so that, that you know if you have to make a decision of can I win these cases in court odds are against me both in Morlago and and here though there are defenses but the odds are against me where am I going to put my energy I probably better off putting my energy in a political fight that allows me to use these trials as an advantage in my re-election efforts. Because if I win, then these these cases go away. Well- Convicted or, convicted or not, they go away. Right. Well, he, not he, the state he, charges. Not the state. Not the state yeah. charges. But I don't think he's as worried about the state charges because- the state charges are brought by politically uh, elected district attorneys, two Democratic elected district attorneys, and he'll be able to argue, you know, the same witch hunt Democrats out to get me, um, with you know the same sort of uh, efforts he has made in all other types of cases where the person against him is a is a Democrat, and so he'll say. As to them, those should be ignored because that's political, uh, you know, witch huntery
0: Yeah. and what are they going to do? Send the National Guard to D.C. to arrest them? I mean, that's you know, I think that will be difficult.
2: <laughs> right. So, so I, I sort of think they really are, are much more focused on winning re-election than they are winning the trials. The lawyers, of course, are are are. Uh, focused on winning the the trials but I think Trump at this moment is putting his um efforts into the political defense uh, versus the legal defense
0: well, that makes sense look one of the final things before we take a, another quick break as we as we look at um what he did with Mike Pence uh Mike Pence said listen I uh he he said he was told to do it um he, he was. He wouldn't. He said that uh, Trump said he was too honest. Trump says he never said that. He referred to the aspirational thing, and then there was uh, uh, Pence who showed up at a at a outing where someone said, "Look, you uh, you need to you should be siding with Trump. You you need to look at the Constitution." And he goes, "I have. You need to." What the biggest spine spineful moment I've seen out of him for a while. But do you when you look at this stuff and and. It's easy. It's far easier to say, hey, obviously they didn't read the indictment or they don't understand the Constitution. But to your point earlier, it also makes sense if they do understand what it is and they're obfuscating because they're trying to win political points to keep him out of it you know, so he can negate whatever happens in court. Does that make sense to you?
2: Yeah. And what's going on with Pence here is very interesting because what Trump's lawyers said on television on Sunday on the Sunday shows was that he, in the end, only asked Mark, only asked Mike Pence to delay the certification, not to stop it. Well, he asked him to delay it after Trump after Trump asked him to stop it. and he said, no. And so you have this debate now between Trump and Pence, where Pence is saying, I he asked me, and I said no, and my view is that the Constitution required me to do this, and that he put himself, I think Pence's line was, he put himself above the Constitution, and I think in his strongest uh, statement, I, I thought, tell me if I got it wrong, right? did he say, a person who puts himself above the Constitution has no business being President of the United States?
0: Yeah, beautiful line. Wish, wish he had used it while he was in office, but... <laughs> Anyway, we're going to take a short break and some final thoughts on where we're going with all this when we get back. And coming back in three, two, one. So, Michael, I don't want you to roll a crystal ball, but if if you look at the, I mean, you've been through these things, you know what's what is decent evidence and what isn't. Assess the strength of the process. I mean, I look at the results and the and the and the numbers and. Federal prosecutors do pretty well in court. I think ninety six percent of the time, getting, uh, uh, you know, a conviction. What's how strong do you see this particular case against Donald Trump?
2: I, I think there are aspects of this cake, of this case, that are weaker than stronger. I think that the weakest count in the indictment is the one that says that he interfered with the civil rights, the KKK. Act case. I think that's sort of a weak count. But I think the strongest part, I think that which he will likely gain a conviction on is the false electors scheme, where they set out, um, particularly in Arizona and, and and in Georgia and in Michigan, to essentially have people falsely represent that they were electors duly authorized to vote for Trump. That scheme to get people to lie and they submitted false certifications, that's impossible to defend on First Amendment or advice of counsel or honest belief because there's no way that you can believe honestly that submitting False verifications um, in a sort of dual universe of legitimate electors versus illegitimate electors can prevail. So I think Smith wins on at least counts one and two. I'm not sure about later, but it doesn't matter. All he has to do is win on on one of these things. So I think I think the 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 case is well tailored to uh, a conviction on the false electors aspect of of the case paragraphs. 10 BC and D um, in, in particular. And um, I think I think he wins. I think he also, um, the Smith prosecution team in Mar-a-Lago should win on the obstruction there. Uh, I think that the most recent introduction of a third defendant who w- w- was trying to delete the videotape yeah. of them moving the boxes it's a, it's if the theory of the of that case is he was told to return these documents he refused to return these documents he falsely claimed that he made a, a, a thorough search and returned them and then he has video evidence of them moving documents and his own lawyer says he was duped um, into uh, believing that there's a thorough search of everything when it wasn't, you know, again, you can find a juror here or there who refuses to listen to the evidence and votes to acquit because they're a supporter of of the defendant politically. But if people follow the evidence and listen to the instructions of the judge smith should win both of these federal cases that's interesting
0: so to sum up as we look at it you think this one will go to trial in november the, the latest one then the uh...
2: well, it, uh, november no, then the november december period because if okay. she sets if they come to court in, on august 25 and they set a trial date then you've got September, October, November—three, four months to 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 deal with this because as we discussed, Brian, it's a pretty straightforward case. Yeah, four months. One it set of has facts has
0: been stream. It it has been streamlined, and I get that. Reading the indictment, it 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 reads as a very. He didn't name anybody else. You're using the same set of facts to go after four different uh, counts. I get it. Um, that so by the end of the year, maybe in that one, Mar-a-Lago, case spring
2: yeah it's a good question you know it was something i was thinking about which is you've got an experienced judge in dc you've got a relatively inexperienced judge in florida does the florida judge start taking notes on what's going on in dc yeah. to say ah uh, that's how that's how experienced judges run courtrooms maybe i'll try doing the same because i don't think she wants to be in this compare and contrast world of Here's a DC judge with a lot of experience running a tight ship and making sure that the Speedy Trial Act is followed. And here's this inexperienced judge sitting up there in Fort Pierce, having already made a terrible blunder the first time the case came yeah. in in her direction. Um, you know, letting the the defense attorneys run roughshod over her. So it'll be interesting to see how if at all she learns from what's going on in DC (laughs) on how to to manage her courtroom. And so until we know what she's learned, I think it's a little tricky to predict what the trial date will be. I think they're trying to roll her. That's what I think. (laughs) I do too. So with that
0: said, I can't get out of a a, a conversation with you without asking you, you, you what, uh, a certain musician might think of this.
2: Well, I, you know, we we, <laughs> we we we've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think the quote in Subterranean Homesick Blues by Bob Dylan, which is, even the president of the United States sometimes must have to stand naked. <laughs> maybe maybe the, the the quote the quote <laughs> of the, the the quote of the podcast,
0: <laughs> and neither one of us want to see that. so so how is it uh, in in case everybody doesn't know he's been on vacation how was your vacation you enjoy the galapagos
2: oh the galapagos is a a place to to go it's not easy to get here it's um, it's a trek um, but if you do an expedition uh, among all the islands here and you go visit the tortoises and the iguanas and the, the birds and then you put on a snorkel and a wetsuit and you go watch the sea turtles and uh, the um, penguins and uh, the all the other underwater life it, it is a uh, wonders of the world vacation yeah there's is there a bob dylan quote for that
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: not 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 that comes to mind at the moment.
0: <laughs> See that I, I always thought there was a Bob Dylan quote for everything.
2: That's <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure there is. And when we come back next week. I will. Uh, I will give it to you. There you go. <laughs> right now, I'm, I'm at 10,000 feet altitude, um, and my head is spinning. <laughs> Try the steaks; they're great there. I've been to key yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, listen. Let, I'll let you plug what you want to plug, and uh, we'll, we'll let you go.
2: All right. So, my podcast is that said with Michael Zeldin. It's a book-based podcast. All different books by authors that we interview and they tell us their story sounds great I, i'm in <laughs> available actually-
0: on all <laughs> available on all podcast apps there you go and this is just ask the question wherever fine podcasts are sold and the name book is free the press and of course you can catch me on all social media at brian karam and uh salon.com every thursday with a column from the white house so Thanks a lot for joining us. We'll catch you again next time. This is Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. We'll see you.
1: Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.